what's up, Crypt Nation? Bryce Paul and the Notorious Pizza Mind coming at you per usual from the sunny and 70 San Diego. All right, so if you haven't heard yet, Pete's and I just finished writing a 290-page book called Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. And we did this so that anyone anywhere in the world can learn about really how cryptocurrency and blockchain technology are putting the power back in the hands of the people. And really, we wrote this to equip the masses with the tools to profit from this revolution. So whether you invest in crypto or something else, the point is that you need to escape inflation, which is a hidden tax on your savings by investing in your future. And we think that crypto is really the hottest market, which has the most upside potential. And we are so confident that Crypto Revolution is the perfect starting point, whether you're the crypto curious or the seasoned investor just looking to learn about the world's newest asset class. All right. The best part is we're giving it away literally for free. Okay? For free. All we ask is you pay for shipping uh, just to help offset the cost of the book. We're literally making zero dollars on this and are just doing it to give back to our amazing community of listeners. All right. So go to CryptoRevolution.com today and get your free copy. All right. What is up, good citizens of Crypt Nation? It is your dutiful host, uh, Bryce Paul. But today I'm not accompanied by the notorious pizza mind. Uh, he is dealing with some cat issues. He is at the veterinarian right now with our studio cat named Clyde. Um, so best wishes to Clyde and pizza mind. I hope everything gets figured out. Uh, and that Clyde comes back healthy and stronger than ever. Uh, but today, uh, you know, r- right now we're recording this. This is March 11th, uh, Wednesday, and I'm with uh, the CEO and founder of Delta Exchange, one of the hottest new derivative exchanges for cryptocurrency. His name is Pankaj Balani. Uh, Pankaj, welcome to the show. Hello, Bryce. Thanks for having me, and a uh, big warm welcome to big warm hello to all your audience. Thank so you so it's much. It's great to be on the show. Thank you. Yeah, we have, uh, you know, the last week of February, the markets were crazy. The first two weeks of March have been just as crazier, if not uh, if not the craziest times we've seen since the financial crisis. And here we are really in the thick of it. Um, and we're going to dive into all these, the, these uh, things and variables that we're seeing here. And I, I really am excited to get your opinion and kind of how you're playing this market, particularly because of your background and what you're doing now. I mean, tell us about your background. I'm excited to hear. I I know you were a former options trader at UBS and running some trading desks. So give us, give us the high level of who you are. Um, and then, you know, what your, uh, what your plan is for this market here. Sure. So, um, I, uh, was at the derivatives desk in UBS in Hong Kong. Um, one of the largest Asian equity derivatives desk globally, uh, traded with largest of hedge funds, uh, traded everything under the sun on OTC side, on the listed product side. Uh, so have a good understanding of derivatives markets uh, across Asian region. Uh, and then um, I set up a derivatives flow business, which is a very similar to a brokerage business for a London-based boutique, London-based bank in India. And uh, I also spent time uh, working at a hedge fund, uh, which was doing, um, you know, long shot trading and options trading. So, yeah, that is my background. I've spent close to six to seven years of my life uh, doing derivatives and, you know, in financial markets. And for the last two years, uh, one and a half years, actually, 
I've been uh, building uh, Delta with my co-founders. Uh, one of them comes from, again, finance, uh, eight years of experience with City and GIC. And another one comes from a plethora of experience of building uh, you know, companies for huge scale uh, that can handle huge scale. And he has also built one of uh, you know, the largest food tech business in India and then sold it off. So, awesome. yeah, that's, uh, you know, um, our background as a team. And, yeah, we, we are, we've spent a lot of time in finance. And when we looked at crypto markets, uh, it was like, okay, this is, this is where the new financial system is going to get built. This is where what we have been doing. There's an opportunity to go and build those things from scratch. And in front of our eyes, basically, derivatives is maturing and it's day, And it's going to be a very different place in two years' time. The crypto derivative space, crypto space, the crypto derivative space, it's going to have so much more. And the rate at which we are going, it's, it's quite amazing. So, yeah, really, really happy and really uh, proud to be part of it. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, have you uh, ever seen, so right now, you know, we're seeing the VIX, which is the volatility index. Um, which is really, I mean, I like to think of the VIX as the price of insurance on your your yes. stock options and stuff. But can you really break down, um, you know, what are we seeing in the market uh, with regards to, you know, the like, I want to talk about the first, the stock market in, in so far as, you know, it is, it's more or less you know, coming down quite substantially and the VIX is at, you know, 54 prices or, you know, ratings that we haven't seen since, you know, 2008, essentially. Um, is it just because of this coronavirus and the economic, you know, turndown where stocks overvalued? What's going on? It's, um, it's a lot of, uh, so, okay, yes, the first thing first, uh, VIX is at levels that we did not see uh, you know, we, we saw around financial crisis and 50% annualized volatility on the top indices globally, that, that's very rare to see. And I think Bitcoin vol was 51 and S&P vol is 54. So that's what tells you that, okay, what is the measure of risk in the system? The market seems to be really, really uncertain of uh, the future direction. And that is what it's reflecting in the, you know, in the price of VIX. Uh, for those of uh, your audience who does not know, VIX is basically a measure of volatility in the system. Uh, it's uh, essentially the volatility at which options are trading or the protection and call options are trading in the market. And like you rightly said, it, you can think of it as the price for downside protection. So uh, why is this happening? Why all of a sudden, you know, uh, from a calm market, we are at a stage where the volatility of VIX is about 50%. I think a lot to do is with coronavirus, but uh, they, there's a, they, the whole economy is in, first of all, the valuations were too high. Now, the valuations were rich. The market was still rallying and the valuations were going up. And then there is a sudden shock in terms of coronavirus. Now, this shock, uh, first people thought that, okay, it's only going to impact China. Uh, but now things are changing and they are changing at a very rapid pace. So earlier, people thought of this as something probably, you know, uh, have concerns on the supply side that, OK, the supply chains will get disrupted a little bit, um, but there will be stocks, there will be inventory with the companies. So the cost of goods sold or the raw material will not impact as much. 
Now, as coronavirus expands to Europe, as it expands to US, as it expands to other parts of the economy of the globe, uh, there are concerns over demand. And whenever there's concerns over demand and there is concern over supply, then there is a huge problem. Then there is no, uh, you know, no clear handle on when this is going to stop, how severe this is going to be. And just uh, last time we spoke a couple of days back to between then and today, the whole scenario seems to have changed. The fear in the market regarding coronavirus uh, from just four days back to now, it's, it's so much more different. Uh, people, and that is what is surprising, right? Every day there is new information coming in. Every day it's becoming more and more serious. And I think it can stay volatile for some time. Uh, I don't think this kind of volatility subsides very easily. Uh, markets don't go to 50% wall and stay there for, not stay there for uh, for some time. So it's a real uncertain times. And I think it's, uh, it's going to be choppy ride for at least next quarter or maybe two quarters even. Wow. And this is, you know, you, you add coronavirus and then you have oil shock coming from um, what's happening between Russia and Saudis. And it's just that the whole economic order seems to be shaking up. And then, <laughs> you know, you have central banks coming and cutting rates. I mean, uh, I think Bank of England also cut rate by half a percent today. Uh, We saw Fed coming out and cutting rates half a percent out of the blue, which was totally unexpected. Uh, And when I was talking to a bunch of uh, my old colleagues and a few traders, uh, they saw it as more of an alarm than actually a good thing for the markets. That why would Fed come out and cut the rate by half a percent? I mean, um, this half a percent cut is big. Yeah. this is something, you know, this is the first time that I've seen in, in the number of years that I've spent that market or, you know, there is there is no clear reason out there, not something that you can pinpoint to, but the market is pricing in a lot of downside. Uh, at least it's pricing in a lot of fear of downside. So, yeah. yeah and we're, we're seeing, it is quite tricky. And, and we're also seeing, um, you know, some correlations here in the crypto market. Um, even though, you know, it's just funny because, you know, the variables that are really changing uh, to affect equities and emerging markets and all and all that kind of stuff, the valuations there, those shouldn't be the same variables that really affect crypto. Um, you know, they're kind of, you know, these digital assets that are immune to, you know, cash flows or, um, you know, supply chain shocks and all that kind of stuff. Why are we seeing then... Um, such tight correlation between crypto and the stock market. So yeah, this is uh, this is actually quite interesting. Uh, we usually think of Bitcoin as an uncorrelated asset, or you know what in traditional markets people called as uncoupled or decoupled asset. Uh, but yeah, the correlations we are seeing is like Bitcoin is falling like a risk asset, mm-hmm. and. We usually expect, you know, the whole narrative around digital gold would have pegged it as a safer haven and something where their money is protected. But um, it's behaving other way, other way, you know, otherwise. I think this is short term. I think uh, Bitcoin will arrest its fall. Uh, I don't see a prolonged, uh, you know, fall in prices of Bitcoin or uh, uh, I don't see markets... uh, 
staying lower for longer, crypto market staying lower for longer. Uh, when there is a shock, a reaction is seen in all markets. Even gold mm. took a beating. Right? Yeah. Even to- gold took a beating the other day. It bounced back, but it did recede of the tops. And this is very similar to what happened in 2008 when the news about Bear Stearns came out. Uh, early March of 2008. It was very early. Uh, and, you know, we saw all the assets recede. And in such times, cash is king. Basically, treasuries are what bonds is where people look to park their money. People look to park their, uh, look to take gains off the table and become very risk averse. So I think with um, with cryptos, with gold, that is the phenomena that is going on. Uh, if markets do continue to fall, we will see negative correlations uh, resume uh, for cryptos and definitely for gold. Uh, Because in the short term, correlations can break. But over a period of time, over a medium term to a long term, uh, correlations do come back. In the short term, when there's a knee-jerk reaction, there's a shock, everything, you know, it's just all bets are off. Uh, Mm. Whereas... uh, once uh, information is digested, once there's more time to react, you know, money reallocates itself. And look at Bitcoin today. It's fairly attractive, right? There is a big catalyst in terms of halving. Um, there is definitely uh, questions on... So we, we often say that most of the supply of Bitcoin comes from China, right? Right. So if miners and supply comes from China and that market is choked, then it's fair to assume that that will uh, put supply pressure on Bitcoin generation as well, which means that, you know, Bitcoin mining should also kind of, uh, we will not see mining at the same rate as we were seeing earlier, which means the price should look to uh, have an upward bias. Uh, Then the volatility in cryptos, it's 50%, just as the volatility you have in S&P. So if you have to allocate capital, now this Bitcoin doesn't look so volatile, right? In relative yeah. comparison terms. <laughs> for, for cryptos, 10% daily is like another day, right? Yeah. <laughs> 10% move is another day. I mean, in equity markets, people are... Uh, Shut down the stock market. <laughs> yeah. There's a circuit. I mean, here you you sleep at 12,000, you wake up at 13,000. So it's no... In a, like in 2017, you know, Asian hours when we... Uh, woke up we woke up to a different handle we woke up to a different big handle so yeah Uh, now in comparison crypto volatility doesn't look so bad in comparison to how other asset classes are doing uh, cryptos don't uh, look as uh, negative and i would think that uh, you know as time passes and we digest the news we will bitcoin will see bitcoin will start to rise uh, in terms of price so there's almost going to be like a little rubber band effect, um, I think is what I'm hearing, because people uh, historically have kind of overestimated the risk associated with Bitcoin. Um, and then now that there's kind of equal amounts of risk, you know, the market's pricing equal amounts of risk in both Bitcoin and the stock market, it might, it might really play some catch up. Yes, it might. I mean, the long... Okay, so... Whenever anybody is building their portfolio, right? Any money manager is allocating the money. Uh Uh, You you allocate money to different asset classes. You allocate money to equities, commodities, to treasuries, uh, to emerging markets, uh, risky equities, and to, you know, let's say digital assets or higher higher risk racial assets. You might have a small 
allocation of your portfolio there, but there are diversification benefits. In the short term, it looks like the diversification benefit is not paying off. When the market is falling, these assets are also falling. What I'm trying to say is that the amount of risk that you are taking for your bigger heavy assets uh, is the amount of risk you are taking for your you know uh, uh, risky asset like Bitcoin, which is supposed to outperform and give you bigger gains. Mm-hmm. So it only makes sense that you are more, you know, attuned to the idea of allocating more capital there. And it also kind of, uh, you know, uh, it also justifies that, look, in the long term uh, or in the medium term, at least, uh, we will see some uh, benefits of diversification play out on the portfolio level, which again will uh, start a virtuous cycle and get more and more allocation towards one. So yeah, to, you, you've used the right terminology. It's more like a rubber band effect. Uh, there's, a, there's an immediate reaction. There's a reaction to a shock. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything is falling. It would be rather surprising to see Bitcoin going up, right? Because money doesn't right. rotate out in and out of things so fast. And when things fall, they fall together. Short-term correlations are usually very high and uh, in the same directions. It's by the medium term, things start to readjust and, uh, you know, gains start, to, you start to see gains in safer assets uh, when markets are falling. Can you talk to me a little bit about the difference between uh, implied volatility and realized volatility? Um, and I want to kind of hit on that because I know you're saying that, you know, the, the volatility of Bitcoin and the stock market are both right around 50%. Can you just break that those concepts down a little bit in more detail? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I'll try and keep it very basic because Thank a you. lot of new users, they get quite confused with this idea of, you know, so what is volatility then? Is it implied? Is it realized? And what do these terms mean? So, okay, whenever you have an asset, let's say you have a stock, the stock moves up or down every day, right? Every day you have some return. So what, what, how we define volatility is how much is the expected return on daily basis or a measure of how much return will vary on a daily basis, right? And then we analyze it and we look at that, okay, uh, some asset gained 10% over last year, but in that jump from point A to point B over a period of one year, it moved up, it moved down. And if some assets move up and move down higher, they are more volatile. If they move up or move down lower, they are less volatile. So this much is the basic construct of volatility. Now, what you predict, how the asset is going to behave in the future, is it going to be more volatile? Means Meaning that will it go up and come down very frequently? That is basically implied volatility. So to take it a step ahead, if you think that the return, if you think that the returns are going to be huge and the price swing on a daily basis is going to be huge, then have high implied volatility. So when market is down three percent on a day and then up two percent on a day and then down five percent next day and then up three percent the day after that, then the volatility is high, and that is implied volatility. It's the expectation of future. Whereas realized volatility is how has it materialized in the last few days? How has it materialized in the past? So realized volatility is basically the measure of what has happened in the past. That information is already available. What, so what and markets so, are always talking about? 
It's it a future is, price. Okay. And then the, the way that we kind of calculate implied volatility, is that just based on options? So for implied volatility, you can only provide an assumption. And the option price actually reflects what is the implied volatility that the market is pricing in. So if the options is expensive, if an option is expensive, then the volatility is high. If the ah. options are cheap, then the volatility is low, right? So that's a very simple metric uh, that, okay, higher wall, higher is the price of option. Lower wall, lower is the price of option. And historical is basically what has happened in the past. It doesn't change anything. It has no impact on the pricing at all. It, now, anyone who's making a price will basically use the information of past to get an estimate on future, right? So then those who are market makers use the information about realized volatility to say that, look, look in the month of May, you know, markets typically remain volatile. This is the realized volatility on the month of May. So if I have to sell an option for the month of May, I am going to sell it uh, at the realized volatility average of last five years. Plus, you know, markets currently are a little more volatile. So let me add a few percentage points on top of that. Mm. And that is your price. That's how a typical market maker would think. Uh, who's making prices and options. But yeah, the general rule of thumb is hi higher wall, higher the option price. And to relate to your earlier statement of, you know, uh, VIX is nothing but the, or volatility is the measure of how much is the price of protection. So if somebody comes to you today and says, um, buy Bitcoin from me at the current price, if the prices uh, go down below 6,000, right? So then if the market is volatile, you are going to price this very different than if the market, whereas, you know, scenario when the market is looking up and the probability of going to 6,000 is quite low. So that is how you can understand that higher the price of, uh, higher the uncertainty in market, higher the price of option. And this is where higher the implied volatility. eToro is one of the largest trading platforms in the world with over $1 trillion in trading volume on the platform every year. And they're some of our good friends and they're a great sponsor. US customers can trade the most popular crypto assets and your fees are extremely transparent. So if you're not ready to trade yet, uh, you could also practice building your portfolio with the eToro virtual trading feature. They give you $100,000 of virtual money and you could start playing around with it and not have to risk any of your real money before you get comfortable with the markets. And best of all, you can connect with 12 million other eToro traders around the world, kind of like a social network for trading, to discuss charts and all things crypto. So go ahead, create an account today at eToro.com slash crypto 101. That helps us, that helps you, that helps them, and makes everything possible here if you guys use that link. So guys, start building your portfolio the smart way eToro is crypto trading made easy. All right, back to the show. All right, well, that is definitely, you know, volatility 101 here, uh, which we've never really taken a deep dive into because it's just never really been as relevant as it is today. But let's move on. And, and I want to talk about, obviously, uh, the things that you're doing at Delta. Um, before we mm -hmm. dive into that, I, uh, you know, just last week, out of nowhere, the world woke up to um, this soft ban in in India on crypto being lifted. Um, so could you talk about kind of what was in the past this ban on crypto? How did that 
you know, happen? And then why was it lifted? And, and who are the decision makers here? And what are the implications, really? Yes. So th there, there are a lot of layers to this. And, you know, uh, the, the common terminology that was being used by everyone was that, uh, or the common belief that everyone had was that cryptos is banned in India. Bitcoin is illegal in India. Uh, there is not, there was not much of a truth to that on a technical basis. Right. So that was so untrue. Let's see what, what was before. Yes. And, you know, let us try and understand why those votes and why those statements were made and what changed after the, what happened and what has changed. So Supreme Court came out and made a, uh, you know, note that, look, RBI, it basically overruled one of the circulars that RBI had passed, in, had uh, moved out in the past. Now, let's see what happened before. So in April of uh, 2018, RBI, which is the Reserve Bank of India, which is the Central Bank of India, uh, it regulates all the banking institutions in the country and all the payment service providers. So any money that you transfer online, offline, all the monetary policy, that is the purview of RBI. RBI regulates that sector. Now, RBI came out and said that any entity that RBI is regulating, so any bank or any payment provider, providers who give payment gateways, cannot do business with any company or individual who is dealing in cryptocurrencies. So essentially, RBI did not say anything about cryptocurrencies being banned or anything about cryptocurrencies being illegal. And in fact, RBI is not a lawmaking body, right? It's not the legislature. It's a regulator and for the banking sector. So it can only direct the parties it regulates, which is the bank and the non-banking financial corporation, payment service providers. But it said that, look, you guys cannot do business with companies that are dealing in cryptocurrencies. So what does that do? So that sends a signal to banks that, look, if I go against the wishes of RBI, then I have my banking license in question, right? So that is a much bigger business for anyone who is dealing, uh, who's providing you a bank account or a payment gateway. Uh, and that is that is what discouraged all these companies to do business with companies dealing in cryptos now uh, what that does is it kills the bridge between fiat and crypto so because you don't have uh, let's say you are a crypto exchange you are a company that is providing uh, a way for people to buy bitcoins through fiat indian fiat which is indian rupee uh, now you cannot have a bank account so you cannot accept accept people's cash you don't have a payment service provider or you don't have a payment gateway. So there is no way people can transfer money to you, right? So because people cannot transfer money to you or you know any other escrow service, uh, there is literally no way for people to buy Bitcoins in the country. Uh. Uh, RBI did come out and clarify that, look, Bitcoin is not illegal. You can trade with cash. You, know, you can trade cryptos amongst uh, one another. So you can trade Bitcoin with Ethereum. You can trade... Uh, you know, ABC coin with Bitcoin. They don't have any problems with that. They just problems with the bridge between cryptos and fiat. And there is reasons for that. RBI's concerns were valid and are valid. So the way, you know, the central banks work, they basically control the money supply in the system, which has consequences over how your exchange rate is. Basically, it they keep a balance of the local currency and the foreign reserves such that the exchange rate 
uh, is you know um, basically you can call it partially pegged india is not a pegged currency inr is not a pegged currency but there is a soft peg that is maintained by rbi that you know basically is how we want our you know, how does the country want its exports to be do we want our exports to be uh, more aggressive and uh, you know we want to keep our currency uh, a little um, you know weaker or and this this is from my side but yeah that is the way central bank managers all central banks across the globe manage uh, money supply in the system uh, manage currencies and the risk to uh, economy Awesome. So now these these guys have put like 10 20 years in building framework of how much money can go out right so if if you have uh, any individual indian individual they cannot take more than say 250000 dollars per annum out of the uh, country they have to go through rbi and explain why are they doing so what are they investing in why do they need to take this money outside and with cryptos that would have been a challenge so rbi has capital controls in place which would have been a challenge uh, if you know a fiat to crypto bridge was available so that is why they took this step but this step kind of killed the crypto economy in the country and now then the community got together they went to supreme court they appealed and basically supreme court came out and said that look uh, what rbi they understand rbi's concerns but what they said is that this is not the right way to Um, you know, achieve the goals that you have set out to achieve. That you have to figure out another way to kind of maintain your capital checks and controls. Maybe through KYC, maybe through uh, you know where the money is going, trying to track that to who is receiving, but not via just banning uh, something or a, a soft ban, let's call it. Not via stopping the entities you are regulating uh, from doing business with other people. So that is what happened. and that is what supreme court said which basically gave all the companies that are doing business with cryptos a bank account and able a payment gateway so now fiat is back and money can flow in and That's there's been a huge interest in like last one week alone i have got so many uh, sms's about people asking how do we invest in cryptos and you know the common public doesn't go into that much detail and it's for obvious reasons and the perception is what was uh, really bad people used to think that crypto is banned in india uh, crypto is illegal in india uh, crypto was never illegal in india it was you know a hurdle it was just so much more cumbersome to buy bitcoins and mm. now that has become a lot more easy and i think the biggest help this is going to do to the system is the sentiment is going to revive um, market opinion changes people are more comfortable they know that look if i am buying bitcoin i am not doing anything illegal and uh, sentiment changes i mean flows change when there is a rally but the bigger help here is the sentiment amongst the common people that changes so yeah, yeah that's the long story of what happened in india no that's super super helpful to get that perspective and you know i love to hear that you know you are boots on the ground in india building a crypto exchange and you're you know you're probably the point of contact for a lot of your friends and people in you know the finance industry as well um and now the fact that they're starting to say okay what's really going on with this crypto stuff um you know how do i get in all that kind of stuff is just uh it paints a bullish picture for for our industry yes. globally so that's really exciting and you know how big is the indian economy i mean it's massive 
yeah it's it's now one of the you know <laughs> top four economies so uh indian economy is massive 2 trillion dollars plus and yeah i think uh, a participation and we literally had very little participation in the you know in bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies till 2017 it's only the second half of 2017 that we started to see a lot of activity in india so india was a little late to the party last time around uh, whereas you know rest of asia was like crypto was really common place everybody was uh, investing in it everybody was aware of it uh, and i think um, i think there is going to be uh, a catch up here hmm. uh, as in when the other markets are not so active in cryptos uh, we, we are going to see flows from india and moves like you know times like these when market is down uh, they are a good time uh, uh, i i think around this time we'll see money flowing in and i'll see, i think people will start to take uh, positions because people follow the price uh, they just were not uh, sure of whether they could uh, you know participate in it or not very very cool and how do you kind of see um you know moving on to delta exchange and your plans for that how do you see your business evolving um you know what are the next steps have you guys already raised money is the platform built uh what is the roadmap look like as well you know for user acquisition all, all such things so um we are uh, we, we launched in august of 2018 uh so yeah we've been in business about 20 months already and um we have bitcoin futures and perpetual swaps listed along with that we have uh, perpetual swaps on about 30 other altcoins in fact 30 or 31 we are launching uh, you know coins every day and um, i think we have the largest i'm pretty confident we have the largest selection of altcoins out there globally and customers come to us for this unique value proposition and um, that look there are um, you know futures that you get on delta exchange on coins which are you know um, on which futures are not available anywhere else so for example bitmex has like eight contracts and the last coin they launched uh, was somewhere around 18 months back i mean they have come up with xrp uh usd swaps but that's not a new underlying uh similarly derivate only has uh, bitcoin and ethereum um binance has now added a few coins but the platform is really new and uh, you know there are instances of outages and still to scale up uh, so yeah we have uh, been solving the altcoin derivatives problem for a while now and uh, we like i said we are the market leaders in the space uh we've done about uh, 100 million uh, of volume in last uh, 32 to 45 days and wow uh, we recently also launched uh, options so we have uh, move contracts listed on bitcoin and uh, ethereum and like the name states you move so you can trade the move how much is the how much is bitcoin going to move in one day how mm. much is ethereum going to move in in a day and you can actually trade that in fact we are the only exchange globally to offer move contracts on ethereum and we will also we were also the first exchange to launch uh, uh, bnb futures that was as early as november of 2018 november december of 2018 wow. uh, that time nobody was talking about you know derivatives on altcoins uh, beyond top 5 and we were also the first exchange to offer leo uh, um, futures within a week of bitfinex opening up leo for trading Mm. um we have been the first to offer ren which was listed two days back 
so yeah, a bunch of these names like Back, Engine, um, TomoChain, Kyber Network Coin, they are listed with us, and some of these, uh, quite a number of these, are listed only with us. That's amazing. Uh, so yeah, we've done uh, we've uh, you know we've done quite a few things, and uh, yeah, we are uh, like I said, derivatives and cryptos is really really nascent. There is a lot to happen here, and let me give you a few numbers around this. Please. So in a typical traditional market, derivatives will at least be four to five times the size of spot market. So let's look at equities. You have about seventy to eighty trillion of equities outstanding globally. Uh, derivatives on those are close to six hundred trillion. Then, so about a factor of eight, right there. Uh, you have FX daily spot trading of about one point two trillion dollars. Derivatives on FX trade about six trillion dollars. So again, a, a factor of three to four. Uh, in cryptos, you have uh, you know your spot trading volumes are close to your derivatives trading volume only now. Two years back, they were like one tenth, and one year back, they were one tenth actually. And of all this volumes comes comes only from pictures, like primarily from Bitcoin futures. So the share of altcoin spot to altcoin derivatives, uh, first of all, that ratio, which should be like one by four to one by five, altcoin spot to altcoin derivatives, is actually four to five times. So that is a huge statistical anomaly. That is a huge structural opportunity. And then the share of altcoin derivatives in the total derivatives pie is really small. So there's a lot to happen, and you know, crypto interest rates they don't have any derivatives as of now. Uh, we are also launching interest rate swaps. So people who are you know putting money on DeFi and getting a variable rate on USDC or Dai or any other crypto asset, they can actually come and buy a contract on Delta Exchange and basically swap their variable rate with a fixed rate. Wow. That is you some can advanced also stuff. Yes. So yeah, we, we are <laughs> going to bring them on by the end of this month and that will enable trading on rates. So we'll be the first exchange to offer a product where people can actually trade derivatives on crypto interest rates. And that will lead to better price discovery of interest rates in cryptos. But just as we have rates derivatives in traditional markets, and they are actually the biggest derivatives out there. So similarly, we'll have rates derivatives in for cryptos so yeah that, that uh, is seriously what, amazing stuff i mean i i always think about like um you know back in the i'm just trying to wrap my head around how much different price action is going to be kind of in the next bull run now that we have such deeper liquidity and such deeper um or sorry broader spectrum of instruments and so do you think that you know all these uh, different derivatives, even you know on on interest rates and derivatives on all sorts of uh, you know altcoins. Is that bullish for the market, uh, or is that something that you know is just going to make prices stabilize for longer before you know kind of an uptrend resumes? What, what do you kind of think about the effects of these? And um, you know, in, in in line with that, you know, one of the cool things about crypto is this hard capped supply but then if you introduce paper settled products does it inflate the supply of cryptocurrencies there are two three questions here let yes. me uh, take them one by one um, so yes what is the longer term impact of derivatives going to be on cryptos and there is a 
common you know understanding or misconception in the markets that because you can short with derivatives they are actually bad for the system and they will not let the price go up uh, the reality is different because you can short it helps in better price discovery and what that does is it reduces the long term volatility in cryptos now that does in turn is that it gives people with serious money a lot more confident about investing in cryptos and that is where it's going to be good for the system so how do prices move up prices move up because there is more demand in terms of more fund flows or you constrain the supply now irrational when you constrain the supply which means that okay last time the way it happened that uh, the sellers were just not willing to sell what that make what that in turn does is that buyers bid crazy high and the price starts to rally really fast but it also collapses a lot and it also collapses a lot faster if you had derivatives at that time a good liquid derivatives market that would have enabled shorting at 12000 13000 17000 18000 and you know it's like skimming the top off of at every interval whenever there is a little bit overheating sellers come and they skim the top off so what that does is there is a small correction but then it gives a lot more stability to the price which gives a lot more confidence to fresh money and which you know increases the fund flow so till the time we don't have a good day, derivatives system in place we are not going to see huge money move in we are not going to see huge money have confidence of getting in i mean imagine being a fund manager and allocating your fund to cryptos and having to report drawdowns of 30 40% in a quarter to your <laughs> investors uh, that is basically finito for you know in traditional markets you are yeah. done so uh you you will have to have a tremendous reputation to bounce back from that so uh so yes that kind but in cryptos it was really common right to have that kind of price swings and the fact uh that all of us class to go big to go mainstream and you know to start garnering share of the global capital allocation uh we wanted to be more um stable we want we should want uh, it to be more uh, attractive in terms of returns and having low volatility so that is something that you know uh, derivatives will enable so futures will help shorting options shorting will help reduce the wall over a longer period of time and it will just make the house a lot more stable it will just be a lot more amenable to uh, fresh investment and investors so that is uh, you know the the broader argument that having derivatives uh, basically stabilizes the system and there, there is instances in past i think back in 2008 i'm not sure it was ireland or iceland or one of these countries i think they shut down the market markets were going up so they shut down the market for a week and when it opened up it opened up 90% lower oh so, my god yeah yeah i mean <laughs> stopping All trading is not the way, yeah stopping trading is not the way to arrest price fall right uh if it were a way then equity markets will not open gap down right so or gap up or gap down so you have to continuously provide both the sides of the market long if people want to go long you have to provide supply if people want to go short then you have to provide avenues for market to express its view that's the whole pre market idea 
and there need to be instruments enough to for traders to be able to express their views and that also brings us to the importance of borrow and lending markets in the ecosystem so one of the segments that i think are, is going to thrive is the borrow and lending market because essentially any good derivatives market can only be built on top of a healthy borrow and lending market uh, we'll, that's a long discussion we'll come to that i'm a little digressing uh, away from the topic but yeah uh, so the question was about supply and if constrained supply on bitcoin uh, will that be a problem uh, problem to how derivatives work or will derivatives create extra supply uh, i don't right. think so uh, okay. i don't i don't think those two things are quite relatable uh, it's basically think of it like this uh, there's an there's a stock uh there is some supply out there for the stock there is certain free float there is certain market cap now you can have derivatives on top of it uh there has to be some constraint on how much you know shorting can take place and is it much more than the supply out there and there are checks and balances built in uh on top of that so yes uh, it needs uh, you know some kind of uh, you know some kinds of some kind of oversight uh, but we are still very far away from that uh we are still uh very far from that becoming a problem on a systemic level um i don't think that is something uh, that starts to become a consideration even a consideration uh till we reach huge thriving markets and derivatives that you know people can basically now manipulate the price using the supply handle and the constraint on supply uh i think i don't like i said uh at this point it's safe to say that these two things are two orthogonal vectors two different things they will not uh, overlap well that's definitely good to hear um and while i still have you there's a couple last final questions we like to ask uh, every guest that comes on the show and the first mm-hmm. one is just as simple as you know who is one person in the crypto space that you really admire somebody you look up to who has really impressed you so so to be honest the it's more like for everyone i think satoshi has to be you know it's one figure that you really admire now it's good and and bad that you know there's like you don't know the person and you don't even know if this is one person or more than one uh, right but yeah uh, in those that we know i think um, i think halfini uh, and her was really inspiring Uh, i think all these guys who were at the onset of the uh, cyberpunk movement and you know helfini nixabo they are really inspiring people uh, the way they uh, it's it's quite inspiring to read just go and read helfini's uh, uh, you know tweets uh, and how he, uh, he it's just that it looks like he was living his life around uh, just around passion of bitcoin uh, so things like i went for a run and then i came and made made the first transaction and i'm running a node and these are quite you know it shows that the person was really interested and back in the day you know these were the guys who were just uh, setting the stem up uh, these were the guys who were running nodes yeah, so yeah the godfathers guys, and if you read about them that's pretty impressive yes absolutely they, they that's quite inspiring um, and you know some of the work that others have done in the space um, Coinbase is one company that has really uh, done good good work, uh, been there for a longer period of time, been uh, building systems, uh, coming up with stable, robust solutions. So their story is also 
uh, quite inspiring. Perfect. And that was actually going to be my second question was what company, um, but you just answered that and that's Coinbase. And then the last question I have is, you know, if this was the very first podcast somebody had heard, you know, the first time they're really hearing about crypto, what is one word of advice that you would give them? So I think um, for a lot of people who come to markets, uh, crypto markets, uh, they come with a very negative correlation. Um, a lot of people come with the idea that, look, at the end of the day, there is no underlying, right? Uh, and th- these are dismissive statements. Uh, you have to go into deeper understanding uh, of cryptocurrencies and, you know, generally money and how the system works uh, to basically write off Bitcoin or to not appreciate it. Uh, it's, uh, to be honest, it, it's a piece of art. And, yeah. I would say that having an open mind towards uh, the system. And like I said, you know, I come from a traditional finance background. Uh, Everyone there has an opinion on uh, cryptocurrencies. Uh, Some, and and they're quite polarizing. And uh, yeah, so to anyone who is just starting, I would say have an open mind and uh, read up the the Bitcoin white paper. And uh, there's fascinating things in that. just to talk about uh, blockchain, how the system works, and how uh, you can have totally digital money. Uh, you can build a monetary system which is free of controls. That is uh, that's quite uh, quite a thing to appreciate. All right, very well said, Pankaj. Can't thank you enough for uh, spending this entire hour with us today here on Crypto One Hundred and One. Uh, we really look forward to seeing all the great work that comes out of your team over at Delta Exchange, and hopefully, we uh, bring you back on the pod sometime soon. Yeah, it'll be great. It uh, it was a very quick one hour. I didn't realize. So yeah, <laughs> that went extremely uh, it, quickly. It's, yes, um, no, it, it's great to talk about these things, and you know, we should uh, definitely do this again. And it'll be it'll be also good to interact with the users and have some questions and others. Uh, always very available. Uh, always fun to for me to talk about derivatives and markets. So yeah. Um, uh, thank you for the opportunity, and yeah, it's uh, it's great. I look uh, I look forward to another similar interaction. Perfect. We'll talk to you soon. And Crypt Nation, uh, we will see you guys next week, same time, same place. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.